Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Hallelujah. First Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. First Kings, it's in the Old Testament. If you're in the book of Revelation, you're way too far to the right. You want to go backwards and head south. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. If for whatever reason you don't have your Bible, it will be up on the screen for your reading. Uh, starting at verse 1. When you're there, just simply say, I'm there. And it says this, And Elijah, the Tish of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here. Everybody say, listen to God when he speaks. You got to know when to get away from there or to stay. The word of the Lord said, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook uh, Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so when he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Even sometimes the blessings that God sends you eventually dries up. And it dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. You may have your seats. Can we just take one moment and thank the worship team this morning? You're amazing. Thank you so much. Before I give you some personal application, there's always, I have a desire, and I usually have a direction with the scripture that I read, but I have two desires anytime I communicate the word of God. Number one, I had a friend who said, why don't you just preach just the Bible? And I believe that 100%. We're a Bible-believing church. We don't add to it. We don't take away. But I have seen the Word of God preached in some denominations, in some churches, by some communicators. I wouldn't call them pastors, but some communicators. Uh, and, it's, and it is the Bible, but have you ever be, heard the Word preached and it just never really sits like... There's no personal application. Like, it's, it's the Word, and it's good, and we appreciate the Word of God. We love the Word of God, but it's not applicable to your personal life. Has anybody ever heard that? Like, in other words, I, I love the Word, but give me some application. Help me to apply it practically to my life. So you, my desire when I communicate God's Word on Sunday mornings is to, number one, stay perfectly in line with the Scriptures, not stray from it, and while at the same time giving you some practical 
application. But before I do that this morning, I will give you practical and some spiritual application. Uh, I like to give you the biblical context from what I just read. Can I do that this morning? Amen. So this particular scripture uh, or a few verses that I just read, uh, verses 1 through uh, 7, I believe it was, uh, 1 through 9, uh, this, I'm reading about a prophet by the name of Elijah. Say Elijah. Now, don't get him, him confused with Elisha because he had a mentee that was just under him that he was mentoring. His name was Elisha. So there's Elijah, who was the main prophet, and there was Elisha. So this is referring to Elijah. He was one of God's major prophets in the Bible. There were major and minor prophets in the Bible. So, some were great prophets. Some were just minor ones that gave small, specific words and had small significance in the Bible. But Elijah was a major prophet. Say he was a major prophet. He was a great man of God. There's not many people in the Bible that I know who had a, a chariot of fire come and pick him up and go to heaven. He never died, the Bible says. He never tasted death. There was only one other, which was Enoch. There's only a couple guys in the Bible other than Jesus that went to heaven without dying. I think that's pretty cool. I would consider him a major prophet, wouldn't you? So this is who we're talking about uh, this morning. And you can almost, almost hear and sense the frustration if you read this portion of scripture in Elijah. I don't know about you, but he goes from this life of being a major prophet, he's known in the land, to now he's running for his life. He just had this major encounter on top of this place called Mount Carmel. Say Mount Carmel. This is where God just gave him a mighty, mighty victory. Just to give you a backdrop of this, the land was like a famine. The word of God was like a famine. In other words, the word of the Lord was scarce. It wasn't being preached. And on top of this mountain, there were 450 false prophets of Baal. And he literally, there's a duel up at the top of this mountain. And Elijah starts poking fun of them. And he said, hey, look, I got an idea. Why don't you do me a favor? You call on your false god, Baal, and I'm going to call on the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I'm going to pour water on this big sacrifice right here, and whoever calls on their Lord and the fire falls down, we're going to name that the God of this land, basically, is what he was saying. And so he says, I'm going to do you the honor and let you call on your God first. And so these false prophets, they're cutting themselves until dawn. They're screaming. They're praying. And Elijah starts poking fun at them and saying, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he went on vacation and the fire never fell. And so Elijah calls on the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the Bible says the fire fell and it consumed the offering after they dumped lots of water on it. Are you following me? And so they, all those prophets, they fell down, all 450 of them. They fell on their faces and they said, he is God. And so the short story is, is Elijah had all of them slew. Thank God we don't live in those kind of days, you know. So all 450 prophets, they, they died, they, they were killed. And so, but now there's still one person alive that has Elijah's life, at least so Elijah thinks, in his hand. And this is a woman by the name of Jezebel. Everybody say Jezebel. Jezebel, Jezebel was considered a witch, but she was the queen of the land. And those were her prophets that Elijah just had killed. And so she says this, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have your life. And Elijah catches wind to this. And so Elijah goes running into the wilderness. God's not speaking to him other than the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm going to have some ravens feed you in the evening and in the morning. And there's this brook that you can drink from. So Elijah is quite frustrated. How do I apply this to our personal lives? Because all of us, 
If you have lungs in your chest, if you have feet, if you are a human being and you live on this earth, you're going to have great high moments in the Lord and you're going to have great low moments. It's not a matter of when. It is, excuse me, it's not a, a question of if it's going to happen. It's when that happens. We all are going to have ups and downs. Life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of mountaintop experiences and valley low experiences. And it touches each and every one of us. And it comes in many different forms, many different fashions. Amen? We will all go through something eventually. And what's funny about this story is almost like Elijah has this amnesia. He has this moment where he has this great victory. And in his mind, the climate of the land is about to change. Did you know there's climate? And I don't mean just humidity in Florida. There's like spiritual climate. Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking about. You drive down OBT and there's a spiritual climate. Does everybody know what I'm saying? And then you drive through Belle Isle and there's a certain climate, right? You can go through certain places. If you have any spiritual barometer in you, there's certain spiritual climates, right? And so, so he's thinking to himself that God is about to give him great victory in the land now, now that all these false prophets are gone. But this is not the case. There's still one person alive who wants to take Elijah's life, and her name is Jezebel. And so Jezebel is considered a witch. She's the queen. She's very dominating. I wasn't really going to get into this, and particularly I see some new faces in here, and I don't want to scare you. And as a matter of fact, I've never talked about this topic from the pulpit. I have had private conversations, but I have, je I have dealt with this Jezebelic-like spirit. Can I just talk about it for a minute? Somebody say, preach, pastor. Come on. I'm going to do it anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I have had personal encounters because this spirit is still alive. Do you know that we are in a war right now? Does anybody know that? Against light and darkness. There are spirits, principalities, powers, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, if you want me, me to be uh, biblical about it, Ephesians chapter 6 says, you are in a war. Look at somebody and say, you're in a war. The Bible says that not to be deceived. Our, in, our enemy or our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. So sometimes you think it's all about a person you're battling, but really it's a spiritual thing. When, so, when it's a spirit in a person that you're battling with and it's not the personality of the person. Somebody say amen. amen. But I can remember battling with this spirit. And I'll tell you what happened. It was in this church. This was some time ago. It was certainly over a year ago. And um, I had some confidants that I was... Uh, I had some people in the church that were trying to control me privately. Uh, I didn't really realize it because when you're dealing with somebody who's controlling you, you don't realize you're being controlled. Hence, that's why you're being controlled. And they were dominating me indirectly. And, and I started waking up even in the middle of the night. And no, we're not weird, but we're, we're biblical. Okay. But I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would feel this heaviness on me. Like, I mean... Elijah says he wanted to die. If we read on, he literally wanted to die. He said, Lord, take my life. So he goes from being this major prophet to, Lord, just take my life. I'm running. She's going to kill me anyway. He's being dominated. He's being, he's being intimidated by this woman. And this is what this spirit will do. It will intimidate you. You ever met somebody who wants to control you, who wants to intimidate you? It's either through fear, it's through anger, it's through different forms of control. Well, this, you're not battling a person. You're battling a spirit that is still very much alive. And here's how you know it's a spirit, is anytime you get around that specific person, you don't want to engage with them. You're intimidated by them. You don't want to say certain things. You, you, listen, watch this. You ready? Look at somebody and say, get ready. get ready. 
You cannot be yourself around this person. This is how you know you're dealing with a spirit of Jezebel. We still use this term in modern times. You don't have to be spiritual. You, you see someone who's kind of wrecks a home and you call her. And, and it's not limited to gender. This is the deceiving thing about it. It's not limited to gender because there are men who operate under this specific spirit. Control, domination, and all the rest. And, and the, the, the bad thing about this, I've, I've been in meetings where demons have been cast out. No, don't get scared, everybody. I've seen demons come out by name, just like the Bible says it still happens. The Bible says, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. Do we still have a church body that still believes that? I said, do we still have a church people that still believe that? I have seen that happen, but the problem with Jezebel is it's a layered spirit, and there's only one way to deal with it. And most of the time, you can't cast it out because most people who have it don't want it gone. It can't be tolerated. You do not tolerate it. So what did I do? I've never had to ask anybody to leave this church in its history, but that time I did. Because you cannot tolerate it. You have to confront it. And this is what's happening to Elijah. He's being confronted with something that he doesn't feel that he can handle. And so what does he do? He runs. Somebody say he runs. He runs. So back to my point. That was just a little side, little note. And maybe one day we can get into a series, maybe even in September. I'm not a series preacher, but I was thinking about spiritual September. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. I just kind of had that, and we'll kind of deal with those kind of things for those of you who are interested in learning more about it. But listen, every believer at some point in their life is going to go through dry spells in their relationship with God. They're going to go through some type of hardship like Elijah went through to where it seemingly the brook has dried up. You're on the run. You've had this high season, and now you're in this low season, and you're trying to figure out where am I supposed to go? What is your perfect will in this season of my life, Lord? Every believer. Somebody say every believer. We can't live on the mountaintop forever because on the mountains you only learn one thing, Cheryl. How beautiful the view is. But you don't learn much more than that. In valleys, you learn how to fight, how to survive, and most importantly, how to pray. Because we don't want to pray when everything is going good. We don't want to pray when, you know, I was going to say desperate housewives. I've never watched that in my life, by the way. I have to say, I don't even have cable for crying out loud. I have Netflix, and I've thought about canceling that. I just don't have time. Not that I don't want to watch TV. I like movies. But God is not, you're not going to be inspired to pray and to fast when everything is going good, when your bills are paid, and when your husband is acting right, and your wife is in order, and your job is secure, and your 401k is in place. No, 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 no. It's in the valley seasons of life where we oftentimes discover God there. It's almost as if he doesn't live on top of the mountain. It's almost like he lives in the valley because we don't need him up there. We need him while we're down there. And so this message that I want to preach this morning is what to do when your brook dries up. What do you do when you can't trace God's hand in your life? Somebody say, when the brook dries up. I thought about this funny uh, point uh, earlier. My friend laughed at me. He came up to me uh, just before service. He said, did you mean to send this point to me? I said, yes, I very much uh, sent it to you. 
And this relates to, I believe, what Elijah was going through, and I believe it's going to relate and uh, be applicable to what you're going through in your life. And here's what Elijah needed to know. Say, what is it? You need to know God's will. You need to know, no, I didn't say will, W-I-L-L, will. You have to learn to, when seasons are shifting in God. See, see, this is what happens with many Christians. This is what God's problem is with religion, because the wheel never turns, Aaron. This was the Pharisees and the Sadducees' problem. This is what happened when Jesus Christ, this is what happened when Jesus stepped on the earth. The Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't discern the wheel. They couldn't decipher. They didn't have a spiritual barometer for the turn that God was about to make in the earth. They only understood him as you only worship him in the tabernacle or what would be called the tent of meeting. We only know him to be more a religion and going through the motions. Last week, who, who was here? I preached on a message called returning the ark. Somebody say returning the ark. And here's what was, what was stifling to me. For the, raise your hand if you weren't here if you were not here. Okay, there's a few of you, quite a few of you that were not here. It was amazing to me to think that they were all still going through their religious rhetoric in the temple they would go to worship. And there was this place called the Holy of Holies. Say the Holy of Holies. There was a Holy of Holies. There was like this, almost like this curtain that the priest himself could only go in once a year. And there was in there, what was supposed to be in there was something called the Ark of the Covenant. It was wooden, but it was overlaid with gold. And what was in there was Aaron's rod that had budded. There was the, there was the, that's right. I love that. I love my, my, my hoopers in here. Where do we have any more hoopers in here? kind of helps me preach a little bit. There was Aaron's rod, and yes, you'll have to share that word with her, uh, Aaron. But there was also the manna from heaven that God had given to the children in the wilderness. But there was also the broken Ten Commandments, the ones that, uh, excuse me, Moses threw at the children of Israel and broke them on the ground. They were all compiled into this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And each year, the priest would go in there and sprinkle blood on the altar, and for that year, the sins of the people would be forgiven. But the problem is, is 580 5 BC, I believe I may be off a little bit on my numbers, uh, is that they were, they were, they were, it was taken by the Babylonians. And this particular ark, why was it important? It wasn't just to go through religious rhetoric and to make sacrifices. It was where the very presence of God dwelt. But when Jesus came and he died and the veil was rent from top to bottom, and when everybody was able to see, see, a lot of people say it was rent from top to bottom, the, the, the veil, say the veil. Yeah. It was symbolic of everybody being able to enter in, not just the priest, not just the pastor, not just the prophet. Come on, somebody. Not just, not just the minister, okay? Everybody was able to enter in. But here was the problem. I believe that Jesus had that thing ripped to show that the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. So for years, these people were going through their religious motions, yet no presence. Doesn't that apply to us today? We have gone to church, and the God we say who is raised from the dead, whom we preach, whom you believe, yet he doesn't still heal the sick? He doesn't still raise the dead? Oh, so you're telling me he has the ability to heal your broken heart, but not your broken body? 
He can, he can, he can, tra- he can change your mind, but can't change your situation. They were going through all of these religious motions and God rips the veil from top to bottom to show you guys have been going through the motions without me. Without my empowering presence. And so you have to know his will when, when he steps on the scene. This is, this, is, this is the important thing about going to God and having God as the forefront in your life, the centerpiece in your life. Because if you don't, you will go through the religious motions thinking that you love him, but all you are is religious. Mom, dad, mom and dad taught me to do it. Grandma taught me to do it. You grow up into this thing. And that's why we can be in worship and deep worship like we were this morning and remain unscathed and untouched and unmoved. Why? Because we're going through the motions. Oh, am I talking to anybody this morning? But God is waiting for a company of people to rise up who feel what they say they feel. They they feel the lyrics and they mean the lyrics. They don't just sing them. They're going to church not because they want to check a box, but because they want to touch God's heart. Ha! Come on, somebody say, I want to touch God's heart. So, so you got to know his wheel. You have to know when he turns. You have to know when your season is up. You got to know when to move with God. You got to know when it's time to shift gears. And you got to know when not to. Amen? Read this with me. It says, then the word of the Lord, I believe it's the second verse, it may be, it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Elijah. He said, get away from here. Turn eastward and hide by the brook of Shareth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, for I have commanded ravens to feed you there. When I think about what I just discussed, I think about all major denominations. I think about the Lutherans. Did you know See, I cannot go sit, I honor Lutherans. We honor every church and every denomination here. We are a non-denominational church here, but I honor all denominations. But you want to know the thing about the Lutheran? Is it started with someone I deeply respect, Martin Luther. Amazing preacher. I mean, some of these guys that I'm about to mention are fire preachers, brimstone preachers, men of God. But what happened is they begin to build this thing into a monument when it was only supposed to be one movement. You see, you see, and, and, and there was the fire of God breathed on the Lutherans in the early church through Martin Luther. But what happened is, is they liked what Martin Luther brought to the table so much is they made it into a denomination. But when the brook dried up, they couldn't discern and couldn't lean with the turn. They couldn't discern God's wheel. It's no different than the Methodist movement. We're talking about John Wesley. We sing some of his brother's songs in church still. We're talking about John Wesley, fire, preacher. I mean, we're talking multitudes being saved through the Methodist movement. I'm talking about Pentecostalism was born through, personally, my favorite. He was the African-American name, a uh, man by the name of William J. Seymour. <laughs> he had one eye. He birthed Pentecostalism. And so you got all these great movements, but what would happen is, is when God would begin to breathe in the earth because it's humanity to want to build around that specific thing. And then when God's movement kept moving, they tried to build an altar around it when God had left the building. And this is what Elijah could have potentially done. He could have kept drinking from a brook that had dried up, but he discerned the time and he moved with God, which brings me to another point. The issue is that they turn. Listen, even let me go back to that just for one minute. You have to be careful about turning down a street that even God directed you to, because if you stay even there too long, you'll miss the Lord. 
Do you know why? I think you'll like this, Aaron. Do you know why the children of Israel ended up in bondage and slavery? Did you know they ended up in slavery in Egypt? How many know that? Raise your hand at me. In the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it started with Joseph. Joseph blessed his family, brought them to Egypt. How many remember that? Oh, they were blessed. They prospered. But then it says that when Joseph died, the new king or the new pharaoh did not remember Joseph's God. And so what happened, his family stayed in Egypt. But when they stayed too long, they ended up enslaved. It's quiet up in the little Presbyterian church this morning. Now you got to be careful because you don't, some, sometimes we move when the brook dries up and we got to know instruction from the Lord. This is why you have to know God's instruction. You have to know his voice. You have to know his word. Because some of us in here move too soon on everything. The job ain't working in a month and you're ready to go change jobs thinking that the next one's going to be any better. And there's no faithfulness. I, I text somebody this morning. There's a scripture that says, if you're faithful with little, you'll be made ruler over much. So some of you guys need to stop moving and stay still and see the salvation of the Lord while there's some of you who are holding on to old wineskins and need to let go and move with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. And so the issue is that they turned down a street that God directed them to. However, they parked at a place that God only planned on blessing them for a season. And you got to discern seasons. Say discern the season. I love to tell this story because I went, how many ever heard the, of the Brownsville Revival? This was one of, personally, my favorites other than the Azusa Street that I just mentioned to William J. Seymour. If you don't know me, I'm a, I, I love talking about revival. It's kind of like my stream. Every preacher has their own stream. But listen, re revival simply mean this. The heart gets revived in the things of God. You have a hunger that's birthed in you, a passion that's birthed in you. It changes the climate of a city. In other words, there's evidence that God is in the building. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be a revivalist at heart. Come on. All of us want to see God in our families at least. Come on. I want to see the Lord at my job, right? Come on. So I went to this, uh, this revival site. And I felt the Lord tell me, because I went to this event, and I felt the Lord say, I want you to stop at this old building where this revival happened. And over 4 million, with an M, 4 million people were touched through this revival. I remember going on YouTube. You can look it up on YouTube. It lasted from, the height of it lasted from 1995 to 2000. Well, as I'm leaving this event center, I had to come back here to preach for Sunday morning. So I left on early Saturday morning, about 7 a.m. We left our, where we were staying at. Uh, me and three other gentlemen went. And we stopped at this historic site. And to my amazement, the site is still massive, but everything is overgrown. I looked in the grass where they used to park, where they put the, the stoppers, you know, for the wheels, the concrete stoppers where cars would park, all completely overgrown. So there was this huge revival, and so there was an influx of money and funds, and so they built schools. And I mean, they had a seminary school, they had all kinds of things, a massive facility. And so I went there, and everything was unmanicured, and, and, and it dawned on me. Although this is one of the greatest revivals I, I feel in, in, in North America that ever happened, I think what happened is when you begin to park around a movement and build around a movement, and God moves on, when you try to stay there too long, you die, spiritually speaking. Amen? And, and so we, you, you, you have to discern when God moves, you move. 
but only when God moves. When God directs you to move, then you move. Make that practical. Let me give you some practical application. If you're in a marriage and you say, well, he did this or she did that, it's time for me to move, and you don't get, you don't, you don't get instruction from godly counsel, and you're not hearing the Lord, first of all, the Lord's not going to... There's specific reasons that would call for divorce, but this could be divorce. This could relate to a job. This could relate to a relationship. If you don't get instruction from the Holy Spirit, don't move. If you don't get instruction through God's word and good counsel that you know to be godly counsel, whomever that might be in your life, don't move. Somebody say, don't move. move. But one of the worst things you could do is park around where God was because things can begin to die. And listen, God never changes, but his methods do. His methods do, right, Aaron? His methodology does. The way that we've seen God uh, moving in churches in 1990 through a guy in a white suit is no longer moving that way. He's no longer moving that way. He's not moving on a man anymore. He's moving on the body. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about you. Yeah, he's moving on the body now. God starts with one, and then his desire is to begin to multiply. And if we park around that, and, and, and as you see, you mark my words, if you, if you go to specific movements now, and it's built around one man, watch those movements begin to die. Because if you don't move with the Spirit of God, you're going to have a bunch of empty seats. You're going to have a dead movement. You're going to continue to build around where God used to be, but he has moved and listen, here's what's the most critical in this particular point. Say, know God's will. In order to know God's will for your life, you have to turn with his will. So it's critical to know God's voice. But listen to this. His voice will never contradict his word. Never. Under any circumstances. Did you hear what I just said? And the reason why I have to say that is because I have a lot of people who come up to me because we are considered a spirit-filled church. In other words, you kind of see what happens. I hear a lot of people telling me that God is leading to do something that is not biblical. God will never instruct you to do something that's outside of his word. Do, Do we still believe that anymore? Do we really still? He will never contradict his word. He will not tell you another man's wife is your wife. He will not tell you to lie on your taxes so you can get more money. He will not tell you to go play the big lottery. No, 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 no. Those are your emotions. He will not tell you to do something that's, am I, gonna, am I saying you're going to, you know, you're not going to go to hell before, for playing a lottery ticket. But what I am saying is don't say God said something unless you know he said it in his word. We've got too much of that going on. So we want to be spiritual, but we have to first be biblical. Okay? Number two, when you are walking with the Lord and your brook dries up, don't fear change. I've seen this in more lives, in people's lives that I've pastored than anything else. People do not, when God moves, they fear change. When we were, were, I'll, I'll apply this to myself, 
whenever we first started off just almost just shy of three years ago, as a matter of fact, this month will be three years. Did you guys know that? Three years, starting right out of our, our living room, three years. And we had this big church building. Oh, man, it was fantastic. Our first year celebration was in this building because the city had come in and tried to make some lofty, you know, put some lofty regulations on me that, I, that they knew I couldn't accomplish. And so they wanted us to go. It was under different ownership, and they no longer considered us grandfathered in. So we had to jump through the hoops. And I had two choices. We either shut down in the church or we go with what the Lord is wanting to do. And in order to do that, you cannot fear change. We weren't afraid of, look at somebody and say, don't be afraid of change. Watch this. He says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Somebody say, do what the Lord wants you to do. That's first. For he went and stayed by the brook of Sherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread. Now watch, watch it shift gears. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and the bread and the meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook and it happened after a while, the brook dried up. Say it dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. And then it's, the Bible says that, that then the Lord commanded him to leave from there to Zarephath because he had commanded a widow to provide for him. Don't be afraid of the methodology, the methodology that God wants to use to bless you. I am all for it. My, my father-in-law has worked at the same job. My, my, wife's, my wife Stephanie's dad has worked at the same job for 50 years. 50 same job, never, never ever changed jobs. I think it's an honorable thing. But on the other hand, there are some things that God is wanting us to leave behind and move and change, and we're afraid and we stay there. But you cannot, to move with God, you cannot be afraid of his changing hand. His ways do not change, but his methodologies can oftentimes shift. What stream he has used to bless you in the past, be careful when he starts blessing you through a different stream. Be careful when he starts trying to bless you through a different friendship or relationship. Be careful when he starts trying to bless you with a different job. Because if you're not discernful, you will miss the methods that God is wanting to use in this season. Why does he use different methods? Because different methodologies require growth out of you. And God is way more concerned with your growth than he is your comforts. You even feel that way about your grandchildren. You feel that way about your own children. Come on, how many have kids in the room? Okay, it starts off with, hey, can you throw your own diaper away to, hey, can you make your bed? You require different things to cause growth in the children. And this is how God treats us. And so where he used to speak to you in one methodology, he'll switch gears. There are seasons that I go through where I don't no longer hear the, I can no longer truly like hear. When I say hear, it's like you have this knower. Like, I know that God is wanting me to do this. And then some seasons, he'll have me strictly when he wants me to be a student of his word. That's how he speaks to me. He'll switch his methodologies to keep Donnie growing. And he'll switch his methodologies with you to keep you growing. There's some people in this room that I know that have come here and had great leaders over them. Leaders that have been in ministry for over 50 years. Now, 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 now the Lord has led them to come allow a 36-year-old pastor to pastor them. Why? Because your brook has dried up. And God has commanded a widow in Zarephath to supply for you now. Look, there's some people like, is he talking to me? But this is the word of the Lord for the hour. Do not discount the brook, but don't get used to it. Don't discount God's methodologies in this season of your life, but don't get used to it. 
Because God wants to grow you. Look at somebody and say that this morning, would you? Say, let God grow you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, remember the Lion King? Remember Rafiki? Change is good. Look at somebody and say, change is good. I wanted to do his voice, but I don't want to, you know, course Jess and play too much. You guys might think I'm too funny. I'm kidding. Change won't come while you're comfortable. It doesn't come while you're comfortable. Some of you are wondering why certain doors have closed in your life, but God has allowed these because he doesn't want you to get comfortable. And listen, when he keeps one door open in your life too long, you no longer are required to use your faith. You've now mastered how the Lord works in your life, and you begin to miss him. But he is always with his children. He loves putting us in challenging circumstances to learn to trust him, to grow our faith in him because he's requiring your faith. Listen, it's up to him to do the miracle, but he can't do it without your faith. Oh, God, did you hear what I just said? He needs your faith in order to move the mountain. He can do whatever he wants to do. A lot of people say that to me. Yes, he can. He created the world in six days. He can absolutely do, but he chooses to partner with humanity. He chooses to partner with your faith. He chooses only to open doors by you applying your faith. And guess what? Faith without works is dead. Can I tell you, I used to put up just on a worship song without even having to read the word of God in the presence of the Lord would fill the room. 20 years ago, I remember 15 years ago, I would just put on a worship song and I would feel God's presence immediately. I mean, I was just, you know what it's like when you're kind of a baby Christian. I know we have some people in here who haven't been saved long, but you know what I'm talking about? When you first come to the Lord, he's just gracious. He just flings doors open. You put your worship music on, but then all of a sudden, after you go through a few years, you start putting on the worship and you got to leave it on just a little bit longer. You have to use a little bit deeper of a song to start to feel God's presence. You start having to read the word and the reading the word's not working. I got to get in the closet. That's not working. And now I got to start fasting in order to see God. Why? Because your brook has dried up and he's wanting to move you from one resource to another and to reveal a different side of himself that you're not familiar with. You know, the Bible calls God the many breasted one. I know that may sit uncomfortably, but it says that, that he's the many breasted one. In other words, he can feed someone meat, he can feed someone this, he can feed someone that, different streams. And God's goal throughout life is to allow you to see different sides of himself. And this is why his methodologies will change oftentimes, because he wants you to understand all of him. He wants you to understand that, yes, he is a lover. He wants you to understand that he's a father to the fatherless. He wants to show you that he's a bridge over troubled waters. He wants to show you that he's the bright and morning star. He wants to show you that he's a way maker where there seems to be no way. He wants to show you that he can be your bread in the morning and your meat in the evening. He wants to show you that he can be your light or cloud by day and your fire by night. He wants to show you that he's this all-sufficient one for you. He wants to show you that no good thing will he withhold from his hand if you love him. Come on, he wants to show you all these many different facets of himself. He wants to show you that in the midst of a chaotic world and a chaotic government that cannot be completely trusted, you can have peace because he himself is peace. He wants to show you all of these things about himself. And so I, one difficult thing with me and my relationship with the Lord, and he has now changed his methodologies. And where I used to find him by simply putting on worship or reading the word, 
And there are many times that he cannot be found. And I, wrote, I read this in Psalms uh, the other day. It says, sing to him a new song. Somebody say, do something new. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout. This is the Psalm of David. This is in Psalms for your reference, Psalms 33, verse 3. Sing a new song. So if that thing is not working for you, you might just have to do something new. Somebody say, don't fear change. Do not fear change. Don't fear new relationships. If you're married, that doesn't apply to you. Friendships, relationships, associates, connections, those things. Don't be afraid of change. And again, this is why the religious leaders missed it with Jesus. I want you to look at somebody just for a moment with conviction in your eyes. Say, don't miss what God is about to do in your life. Don't let his methods confuse you. I have found out in my personal life where there comes a point in every single believer's life, Matthew, Maya, that you can no longer find him where he once was found. There comes a point in every believer's life where he once was found, he can be found no longer through the same means. I used to find him at conferences. I used to find him on Sunday morning. I used to find him sitting in my chair opening the word, and I still do many times. But now I'm finding him in the broken places of my life, in my weak places, seeing that he's the one who can mend. I'm seeing him, I'm finding him in my prayer closet when I get alone with him, when I get away from the hustle and bustle. I can no longer find him in the busyness of ministry. He can only be found in the secret place. He has changed forms. And all throughout the Bible, if, if, we, if we simply look at the scriptures, remember when Mary ran to the tomb and she thought it was the gardener and she didn't recognize Jesus until he spoke. She thought it was the gardener and she says, Please tell me where you have laid my Lord. And he said, Mary. And only when he spoke did, he, did she recognize him. But Jesus had changed forms. He changed how he looked. The road to Eumaeus. The disciples were walking with him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They walked with him the whole time after Jesus' resurrection. And they couldn't recognize him. And then after Jesus disappears at dinner with them, they said, certainly our heart burned within us. Certainly, that was Jesus. He changed forms. The place that they used to find him, he can no longer be found. Somebody, somebody say, don't be afraid of change. So listen, if you used to, used to be able to find him in this church building and you can't find him no more, open your word. If you can't find him at a crowded Christian conference, find him in your prayer closet. If you can't find him in your prayer closet, start fasting. Oh, that's a cuss word in church these days. Fast. From what, TV? You can fast from all different types of things. Anything that costs you something. Anything that, that requires something of you to kill this flesh so you can see here with your spirit, man, what thus saith the Lord. Come on, am I talking like an 80-year-old man this morning? 
Uh, we need some old Pentecostal preachers and those old watchmen on the walls that begin to walk these floors and integrate and infuse that kind of DNA back in the church because that's the days when demons used to be cast out. That's the times when people used to get healed. That's when the word of the Lord came forth. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the religious motions. I want to do whatever I have to do but in order to get God to come, but I cannot be afraid to shift with the seasons. We cannot be afraid of change. And listen, if you have been fasting, if you've been reading your Bible, if you have been praying, you've attended all the church conferences, you're here every single Sunday morning, and you have even been at his feet in your prayer closet, stop doing all of that and try being his feet. Do something for the kingdom. Maybe he's tired of you eating all the time. Oh. Maybe he wants you to exercise your gifts. Maybe he wants you to go out and help give food to the community. Maybe he wants you to be a part of one of these outreaches. Oh, no, don't leave the church now. I'm just getting started. Wait till I'm done. Be his hands and feet. Somebody say, be his hands and feet. If you want, who will? If you won't love those who are unkind to you, who will? I was sitting in Sobix. I mean, I was in the hood, and I'm from the hood. And it was so hood, I was uncomfortable. I was like, oh, Jesus. I mean, I've been, you know, sanctified for just a minute. So, it, you know, it's not as normal as it used to be. And I, all kinds of folks were walking in, and I, me and my wife were looking at each other. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? And, you know, you just smile. You eat what's before you, like the Bible says, and uh, without asking any questions. And I certainly didn't want to ask any questions where it came from. And uh, I started talking with this daughter and uh, mother, and they're, uh, I was chatting with them. And I normally don't do this. I'm generally, believe it or not, I'm a very quiet person. I'm a recluse. I don't enjoy being around crowds too long. I have to, I need to break away. I'm one of those. I, I like to break away. I enjoy fishing, hiking, things that don't require a lot of people. I enjoy being alone. But I can't wait to get to Sunday morning, if that makes you feel better. I love being around you all, but I, but I very much enjoy my private time. And, um, but I just felt led to talk with them. And um, I started telling them we're going to give, we have this big giveaway uh, you know, Sunday. We wanted to give away a bunch of furniture and all of these things and some food. And they started asking me, they kept trying to persuade me to start selling it. I stopped her. I said, ma'am, I said, first of all, I wasn't being prideful. I said, me and my wife are fine. We can purchase things. This is not why we do it. We do, we're doing it to show the love of Christ to a community. If I, was doing this for, if I was doing what I'm doing for money, trust me, if it was for money, I wouldn't be doing this. I said, I wouldn't be doing this. If, 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 if you want to make a living uh, financially, I don't recommend you starting right off the bat in ministry. Yeah. But here's the thing. I have made lots of money not doing what God called me to do and was miserable. He didn't allow me to enjoy the money. Somebody said, do the calling of God. This is the only place you can find ultimate satisfaction. Amen? So if you can't find him doing all of those things, being even at his feet like Mary, try being his feet thirdly. And I want you to stand.
You know what I'm so glad about? And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. This was yesterday, maybe it was Friday. As I was reading this particular scripture, we can put the tithe and offering buckets out if you can. As I was reading this, I read this. We can put it back up on the screen. It says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And you know what I felt the Lord say to my heart? He said, don't judge God's supply. Don't judge God's supply. Can I be completely honest with you? I think I've been pretty honest this morning, probably more than I should have. <laughs> She's laughing at me. That means I was really honest. I have made the dire mistake over and over, admittedly. I've looked down on what God was trying to use to bless me. There are people that had a word from the Lord who have come to me that I simply didn't accept it because of whatever reason. There's been resources that I have rejected. I'll say this publicly. I'm glad she's not here this morning. This, the, the young lady who, who owns this entire facility, from the start of when I launched the church, we launched the church together in Apopka. That's where we started. And it was a much bigger building, much bigger. I think we had, I, I think it was a 400 seat or something. It was bigger. And I love that building. And I invested all of my life savings, literally, literally. Every bit of money that I had, I, I was at the bottom of the barrel. And I'm like, Lord, I did this for you. You know, and circumstances and the city. Never think because you obey God, you won't have opposition. You will. It's a part of the test. And within a year, six months into this, I didn't see it coming. But the Lord had provided a widow woman. And she's a widow. Well, she's not married. She's single. Kept knocking on my door. Pastor Donnie, come to this facility. I want to bless you. I want to help the church. You hear all the while, I'm swimming in debt. And she kept knocking on the door. And I kept slapping her hand away. Over and over. It had to be almost a year until God put, completely put my back up against the wall. And then they gave us this notice and said, we have to give you this notice. We don't want to do this. I know we told you one thing, but now it's another, the city. And we had to go. And I said, oh, Lord. But I kept pushing the widow hand's hand away. Why? I was judging God's supply. Never judge God's supply. You never know who you're sitting next to. You never know that person who doesn't seem like they're going to... You don't realize who you might need next season. My good friend, I call him Rickles. Don't smile, Rick. They're going to know who you are. I'm trying to keep my eyes off of you. He's one of my best friends. He truly is. He's one of my best friends. When I met him back at another ministry, I thought he was a bit abstract. 
I thought his methodologies were different. And I loved him dearly. And even his ministry uh, it was just different. I wasn't used to it. And little did I know that this would be the man that would usher me into, I was trying to run from marriage. I said, I'm going to be single, Lord, and I'm going to just run for you. And I'm not going to be distracted. I've already been through some stuff. And he got me to jump off the cliff, not knowing that the Lord would catch me. And he mentored me for a year through my marriage. And little did I know that he would not only be the reason I got married, but he would be the reason that I stayed married. You can't, you can't discount, or you can, to your dire mistake. Don't discount. Don't judge God's supply. The people that he puts in your lives that will be pivotal. You never know who's going to end up helping you in your journey. Who's going to supply for you. Who's going to be the one to care for you. Who's going to help you to see to it that your destiny comes to fruition. Somebody say, don't judge God's supply. Look at Jesus throughout the scriptures. And I'm closing in just a moment. If you can be patient. Not a lot of moving I'm requesting. All throughout Scripture, Jesus used things that were abstract. This is why the Pharisees couldn't receive it. He used fishermen that were uneducated, people who didn't have a seminary degree. But they knew one thing. These men have been with Jesus. He uses things that are abstract. He used a little boy's lunch, and he fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. Don't discount. Don't judge God's supply in this season of your life. And I got a feeling this morning that some of you are in a shift. I sense it. I sense a shift in this season of your life. I got a feeling that some of you's brook that used to be running like a river is now dried up and you're like, Lord, what do I do? It's almost as if I could hear the Holy Spirit for you saying, I have a widow. I have something else I'm going to use to supply for you this next season. I feel the Lord shifting gears, even now. And I want you to just bow your heads just for a moment. And I want you to just begin to meditate on the Lord for just a moment as we, as we worship. For just, just a moment. And I want to decree and I want to declare some things over you and then we'll close. I want to let the Lord have an opportunity to minister to you. Worship has a way of making where things are, seem cloudy. He gives clarity and direction. And I just believe even in these next few moments that the Lord's going to begin to highlight things to you where you don't have direction. And the Lord said, the Lord's allowing this brook to dry up, but I believe the Lord's going to speak to many of you. He's going to give you direction. He's going to give you clarity with specificity. Speak to your people, Lord. Speak to the children. Speak to the teenagers, the young people. Wherever they lack direction and whatever area the brook is beginning to dry up, let them know that you have a widow woman in Zarephath that's going to supply for them. Let them see it, Lord. Let them see it. You are on the move. You are preparing blessings. And I even feel this scripture even right now. Eye hath not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared 
for them that love him. It's not his nature to leave you by the dry brook. It's not his nature. He's sending a supply. He's sending direction. He's sending clarity. He's sending new streams of blessings. He's opening up new doors of opportunity. Open the windows of heaven over your people, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.